0: The Telegraph Telegraph. Podcasts
1: Hi there podcast fans, I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. City Side down. Manchester United mullered what a weekend it was in the FA Cup. We'll tell you the how and why from both semi-finals that were played at Wembley Stadium, which hadn't been this empty since it stopped hosting Greyhound Racing. It's farewell, Nigel Pearson, for reasons no one can quite put their finger on. We ask if Watford will come to rue what looks a decision as bad as the time Pearson accused a journalist of being an ostrich. Plus, sadness of Bournemouth, the relief of David Moyes, a return to the top flight belief a title win for Real Madrid and the stadiums we can't wait to get back to. Let's take you now into our series of remote audio recording facilities where I'm joined first of all by JJ Ball. How are you, JJ?
2: Good evening. It's last morning, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. Yeah, Yeah,
1: look alive, mate. It's definitely the
2: morning uh yeah it is yeah yeah all yeah, good. good i went to scotland on the weekend it was did you probably, yes i did did you get on a plane i did yeah what was that like uh, with rona yep yeah. uh, not as busy as you th- uh is it like i don't know it's hard to sort of tell i expected to be really quiet and also much than i thought it would be and it's somewhere in between kind of normal <laughs> i know that doesn't really make sense but yeah, yeah and uh, playing on the way there is a lot more full than you think it's going to be so lots of washing hands and trying to stay away from people. Oddly, like the staff on the particular airline I was on, don't seem to realise that if you take someone's card or like touch them, you're supposed to then like. T- <laughs> people just don't understand the rules, do they? They don't understand how viruses work. Anyway, no, no
1: football yet, but I'm sure we'll get there. Yeah, let's focus on the football. Mina Rizuki, a lot of football for you this weekend, by the sounds of things.
0: Yeah, a lot of football this weekend. I kind of had an easy week, so. I was like, yeah, I I should watch a lot of football and there were just some really good matches because the FA Cup was so good and we've had uh, some interesting ones in um, Italy too, so it's been a long weekend of football. I might need to have another break now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it certainly feels like we're back up to a very good standard now, which I suppose is predictable because everyone's up to match fitness. Would you agree with that, Matt Law?
3: Yeah, I think the standard has got um, better. It's It's a a little bit of a shame we're now coming to the end because I just think the last two or three matches across the board, even with the bottom teams, you know, have suddenly started picking up a few points. I think everyone's got into a far better rhythm now and the the matches generally are a better standard.
1: Yes, for sure. Well, let's start with one of those FA Cup games. It was an excellent weekend in the FA Cup. Two quite surprising results. The more surprising, I would say, was Arsenal beating Manchester City 2-0 what a week for Arsenal. Arteta masterminded the win, first of all, over Liverpool uh, and then Man City at Wembley. How has he done it, Jojo?
2: Uh, well, we talked about this quite a few times in the last few podcasts. It's all about creating that mentality that he wants, getting the, the wrong people out of the first team and putting the right people in. Uh, I really think having Kieran Tooney there has made quite a difference. Uh, if only think he's one of the only players who will clear the ball when... You you know you can clear a ball when you you need to. Uh, he's changed the team about uh, a little bit. He's he's found that um, a system that works for the players he's got, and it appears to be uh, a 3-4-3, three, three, which he quite likes. Uh, I don't know if um, I was going to say here. Yeah, the, the way he set up for the Man City game is really interesting because obviously he has a lot of inside knowledge for how Pep Guardiola works and how the Man City players work. So he knows what's going to stop them from playing because he's seen it so often. They had to work out strategies to get around that. And one of the things i thought was really interesting in uh this epic cup game was how he had uh they just City just were not able to play out from the back even edison didn't have a pass to to hit it long to um and it's quite simple by having that that front three they have Um so it, lacazette would drop slightly deeper not a false nine whatever you want to call it but he would just drop a bit deeper to try and shield passes from the center backs to the to the midfield it's like a box midfield they had and then you had Bamiang Pepe just waiting. It wasn't. It was sort of a high press, but they weren't pressing. They were. It was a block high. And then as soon as the ball went wide, it was the only place it could have gone. The two wing backs pushed up high, and uh, and then they didn't have a pass out, and it, they were really struggling with it. It was, um, yeah, it, it worked really well. Like they they he sussed that one out.
1: One of the most striking things about this win was Arsenal had only twenty nine point two one percent of possession. I love that we can get it that accurate. Is this what Arsenal fans have to get used to now, Matt? That they're a team that sucker punches the uh, bigger teams rather than dominates games.
3: Um, maybe for a little while. I don't think it's what Arteta wants to do. Generally, you know, someone like Mourinho or something. That that's. That's in his kind of DNA in, in some of the big games, but I don't think it's in, in Arteta's. I just think he's shown very good management to find a way to work through a period while he he moves towards what, what he wants to do with the squad and stuff. I mean, Arsenal have been crying out for a manager or someone to to do this. I mean, I remember in the last kind of five years of Vengo, we constantly would, would say when they went into those big games and, and get smashed that, why would he not just set his team up to, to defend and, and try and hit on the counter-attack? And as a point of principle, he wouldn't do it. So um, I think Arsenal fans have wanted this for a long time, and now they've got it. I don't think it's a long-term plan. You know, but probably through next season, they'll have to do it too. But I do think that the long-term plan is to move to, to a different style. But it's, it, like I said, it's just very good management.
1: What about Young Mina? He should just be offered whatever he wants, surely, in the contract negotiations. He looks absolutely crucial to the future health of this Arsenal team.
0: Yeah, and I think that he is, you know, based on this week, and you can see that there's more of a direction in this team and what Arteta's is doing and what he's trying to build. And I do think it was great management, um, despite the fact that he has an idea of how he wants to play football. I love that he's also pragmatic in his approach and trying to tailor the team to what... Um, the strengths are of his players and considering that you have that forward line um, with Nicolas Pepe and Lacazette and Aubameyang and they were all very good but there were also some really great performances Kieran Tierney um, JJ already mentioned I couldn't believe the passing accuracy of Shaka. if you go on and read anything on the opposite stats he was the best passer of the ball um, and this is the kind of game that you would think he would totally be struggling against the tide, but he was—he was really fantastic in it. You're not going to necessarily get this performance out of all the players like you did um, in this FA Cup game. It was one—a uh, it was a wonderful performance from all of them. This was a side that only what nine days ago we were criticising them in what they did against um, Spurs, but on this occasion when they did limit the spaces and and packed. Um, into a narrow defence to to block out City, I thought that it was exceptional. And if that if they do have that in them, and they can expand on this, then they'll actually be really interesting. And that's is the one good thing that's come out of this management side. They're starting to put the blocks together, and I hope it keeps growing.
1: Yeah, it was certainly a very encouraging weekend for them and their fans. But what about Man City, JJ? Pep Guardiola afterwards said that his side lacked desire allegedly this competition and the Champions League has been their focus because they knew they couldn't win the league but did it look that way to you from the performance of his players?
2: It's kind of hard one to tell like he, at some points yes because it's when like they were being blocked out and they couldn't find a way to pass I think when they're really hungry certain players uh, I mean I think De Bruyne is the only one who's always turned on to 100% the entire time maybe Kyle Walker as well but you see some players just aren't pulling in this to little bits of spaces to get the pass they want. Maybe some people aren't um, totally on it and spotting the passes they can make to get play forward. But it's more like, I think they've lacked players that snap about in the midfield for a little while. They're not quite as dirty as some uh, some teams Or I mean, I know they're quite renowned for making these tactical fouls, but when they don't have Rodri or Fernandinho in there, they don't, there's not really someone who... Uh, kicks people <laughs> and I think that's quite important and even like <laughs> when you think about it up front so you had Gabriel Jesus again I think Gabriel Jesus is a really good he's a great player right and he, uh, he's got a fantastic scoring record works really hard off the ball does the things that Pep wants him to do but sometimes you need a a player who's just a bit of a knob up front to, to put himself <laughs> about and, and and upset defenders because while you're scared of what Jesus will do when he's um, already behind you sometimes you want someone who causes uh, problems i think i think guardiola would like to have different options so he can have you got anyone in mind when
1: you talk about a player like that
2: uh yeah like Lewandowski. i just think it's kind of player that uh because he didn't I mean, when he was at barcelona pep he brought in ibrahimovic so it's not like he's not already thought about that early on in his career having someone who makes a bit of a difference to how you can have up front and then he went to bayern and he had Lewandowski, and you, you see what you had there and, and aguero and, and jesus are quite similar like statistically they, they're not that similar, but they, they, they seem to play in a similar way in the way they play off the shoulder last man. So they're quite, you know, it's kind of the same thing when you take one off, you put it other on. But I, I think
3: I think this game I did highlight their the sort of forthcoming problem with Aguero, mm. because I, I do think Aguero, I know he's not quite the player that you're, you're talking about they need, but Aguero would have scored in that game, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I still yeah, think Aguero is that guy for City who... If they're dominating the game and dominating the game, but the chances aren't coming, it's still Agüero who might turn in the box or bang one in from somewhere, or or just provide that goal when everything's very tight and they can't just pass the way through a team. Agüero is still that player who who's got that goal-scoring instinct. Um, that, I totally agree. It's players like that, yeah. the kind of game yeah.
2: changers, that the really elite ones that uh, are quite hard to get, like, yeah. get hold
3: of. And, and he's, he's 32 now, and obviously out injured. And I. I hmm. That's going to be a problem for them because Gabriel Jesus, as good he is as he is, I don't think he's ever going to be that type of player. And no. they're going to need just that 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 guy. If they can't rely on Agüero all the time, they're still going to need that guy with the instinct. Otherwise, they're going to have more matches like that where, and we've seen it a lot this season, where you know, the team will frustrate, 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 and and it is a way of beating them at, at the moment.
0: But it, I thought it was quite surprising when he came out after the match, Pep, and said, you know, when, when he was asked about the motivation, obviously with a team that has 71% possession practically and, you know, so many shots on goal. And, and he, you know, it's kind of almost ridiculous to ask them, you know, why aren't you motivated? So it's not like they weren't motivated. And Arsenal were very good defensively because that's what we spoke about most of the time. But it is also a case of sometimes this team lacks variety Um, In the sense that, you know, in Barcelona, it was like the same thing, you know, PK was almost the plan B, you know, one doesn't work. There's a lot of more of the same of what they have. And sometimes I do feel like, I don't know, whether you get off your, your knob of a striker off the bench, you know, some guy that can just come in or whatever you want. But just something off of the bench that can sometimes unlock something. And when he came out and said along the lines of I'm not here to motivate them, I thought that was quite interesting what he said. And I know where he's coming from because he's like, you know, I've obviously bought some of the most professional players in the world. I don't need to sit here and tell them this is an FA Cup semi-final. You better, you know, get your stuff ready and and, and win this game. But I do think that this is a different team to what he's been accustomed to at Barcelona and Bayern. You know, Bayern had just won the treble when he was there. And Barcelona was full of players who were winning the, 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 you know, the Euros, the World Cup and... Were well, there at the highest level. This is still a team of, of immensely great players, but ones that perhaps haven't won like a thousand trophies. And when there's very little to play for in the Premier League, and you know they're distant, they're disheartened by everything that's going around. Um, I do think that's where you need to show your props and sort of motivate the side. That really, if you take out Aguero, how many of them are Galacticos? How many of them do you turn around and think, yeah, they've got like tons of trophies in their cabinets? So, you know, you still got like Aymeric Laporte and Gundogan and they're all amazing players. But like I said, I do I do think there is that point where it needs to come in and you don't need to fall, like you shout at them or call them every day. I don't think Klopp does that with Liverpool. But sometimes just to be an example on the bench to seem excited, but he seemed very irritated by his team. Well,
2: that's which it, was- it's the, the motivation of it. And if you, uh, I think, I wonder how much it plays into the players. The kind of thing you need to really ask them or be around them for a while to find out, but... Liverpool being so far ahead the, the league was kind of done quite a, quite a while ago Yeah, it makes sense The FA Cup doesn't really job. matter yeah. you know The FA Cup doesn't really matter so you might see that they turn up at the Champions League and be more for it they might be a bit of a different team like everyone who plays them and beats them says that they're one of the best teams in the world because they are and regardless of not having individual star like actual stars that do things um, That's not
0: what does. you need to win you don't need individual stars No, like it's a the team
2: that wins it Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly. the thing. So, uh, yeah yeah. But this would
0: have, if, had they reached the final, it's like he said, you would have been better prepared to prepare for Real Madrid, right? Because you would have had another big game, and that would have left you with the momentum that you might have required to to push on.
1: Yeah, I think they'll be very disappointed not to have got to the final, and and um, certainly not to have added a, a bonus trophy. Because if you come out of this season with the league cup, the FA cup, and the Champions League, potentially, it definitely. Uh, Works a little bit to uh, to solve the disappointment you feel for living losing the league to Liverpool. What about the second semi-final on Sunday? Manchester United 1, Chelsea 3. Chelsea, very good. United, very disappointing. Is that a fair summary, JJ?
2: Yeah, I think uh, this game you could tell in the first like five or ten minutes that uh, one team had had more rest. And I think United's like player rotation they had to make, like, Pogba didn't make it into the first team, Things like that. I th- Marcel was on the bench as well. It's obviously, they've had to rotate because they've been too much, too high a workload with some of those players. Did, did someone get that
1: right? Did you think? Did, did, well, Pogba like, it... and also Greenwood on the bench, of course. Would you have liked to have seen them start, even if they were tired?
2: Well, it's, well this is the thing. Like, so, so, if you can, if the system is built around pressing high and doing that, and the players don't have the energy to do it, there's no point because if you do that and then they're knackered after 60 minutes, and you you just can't bring on quality. The, the most sensible thing to do, really, is start with the. supposed weaker team try and keep things safe play on the counter like like they set up for knowing that Chelsea would try and press them so it would give them opportunities to do it and then you can bring on the players like Pogba and Greenwood later on so they've got legs for longer because you don't know if it's going to go to penalties or anything like that as well you can't just leave those on and come off with no creativity later on and uh, I I think I don't it's it's the problem it looks like Solskjaer got it all wrong or his team with feeling whatever got it all wrong but these guys work with their sports scientists all during the week and, and things like that, so if, if they're pointed out that maybe if you do this it's going to cause damage, you can't really do it, you're not going to get the same performance that you need out of this player for this, then the sensible choice is to do that. If it had worked, you'd be like, wow, what a great decision to have done that because then it's worked properly. But It's the thing with managers, they won't control the players. They set up what they think is the right thing to do and sometimes they get it wrong. And you can't also rely on David De Gea letting in shots from 25 yards.
1: Just astonishing from De Gea. What is going on with him, Matt? How do you explain his downturn? Not just this season, it's been going on for a while now.
3: Can't really. Can't (laughs) explain it. Um, It's weird how this can happen with goalkeepers. I've always found it incredible with kind of Joe Hart. You know four years ago joe hart was was england's number one goalkeeper completely undisputed and we sit here now and joe hart can't get a club and this does seem to happen with goalkeepers it happened with kind of paul robinson as well you know some top goalkeepers just fall off a cliff they, they sometimes they they get to a stage where they've been at the absolute top of their game and they then don't just seem to gradually get worse it's something about the position whereby they can just absolutely fall off a cliff and that seems to be happening to De Gea. Look, I don't know why... I, it's, it's easy to say this in retrospect, and, you know, um, Solskjaer is probably right to to have put his faith in De Gea, given what De Gea has given United, but you you do wonder when De Gea hadn't played a single FA Cup game, why he hadn't stuck with a goalkeeper who would helped get them there. He's a,
0: he's a yeah. very
3: good goalkeeper. I mean, it's a great excuse to stick with him. I mean, I think Lampard was probably pretty pleased to have the excuse to to go with Caballero in that, that game, because similarly he's got doubts over his number one, and, and that's the excuse that, that Caballero's played as the FA Cup goalkeeper and done nothing wrong.
0: Sometimes I think it's a psychological issue in the sense that, you know, like Ike Casillas was sort of always the man in Real Madrid, and Mourinho took that away from him, um, Joe Hart was the man, and then Pep Guardiola sort of took that away from him, and I don't know whether it's a position that doesn't require too much attention. Once, So when there is a lot of attention placed on it, it becomes difficult. Um, I think in 2018, obviously, it was De Gea's first tournament, the World Cup, in Russia as the number one goalkeeper. He wasn't in the shadow of anyone before him. And he totally messed it up, right? Yeah, Paola that. in that Portugal game. I mean, exactly that. The The Portugal game was one thing. Um, coming into the preparations at the time, he was seeking a public apology from the Spanish prime minister. He was implicated <laughs> in a scandal. Do you remember that he was, you know, like, that he was obviously like uh, innocent of. And... All of that was going to play into his head. He had a terrible World Cup. And all you kept reading in Marca and As and Deportivo was stuff like, the, you know, statistically, this was the worst thing they'd seen in 52 years because, you know, no no goalkeeper has, has made fewer saves from at least three games since 1966. So out of seven shots that Spain had conceded, six had gone into the back of the net. And it was just all of this talk. And I feel like that really messed him up because prior to that, between 2013 to 2018, he was one of the best in the world, if not the best, you know. And I just, I don't know, it's almost like he just never recovered from that. But I also feel like it's really harsh. Like, I, I also agree with JJ in the sense that I, I'm never going to be on board with thinking Solskjaer is the world's greatest goal, uh, coach. Um and, and you can't plan for things like fatigue. And I do agree with all these things. But also, Aaron Wan-Bissaka has been pretty poor for a, for a few games now. Harry Maguire, this is an 80 million pound defender, by the way. Victor Lindelof these all contribute as well and and I just feel like sometimes we focus I know that you know De Gea's should be the last man but I also feel like the others won't deserve a mention yeah.
3: I just think as well you've got to give um Lampard a lot of credit for yesterday as well as
0: yeah looking at United
3: yeah. and Solskjaer and De Gea I mean Lampard made two really big decisions yesterday one was the the formation and, and going with the three at the back um which worked spectacularly well for them, and the other was to have Mount on the left, um, not risk Pulisic, who had a little knock, who's been playing out of his skin. Um, and again, I mean, Mount, Mount got man of the match yesterday. His big decisions yesterday really came off, and, and you know, I, th- I think he deserved an awful lot of credit for that.
2: The way they the way they set up from the start was, it was really impressive, and similar to what he was seeing with Arsenal and Man City. I think to a far more obvious um, degree, Chelsea had Man United. Like pinned in in their own half, and they kept taking goal kicks so that Maguire would drop to the six yard box to take them. And there was just nowhere to pass, and it took really risky one twos in wide areas. And I think, like, one of the reasons I think United went with that a similar system, like the 3 4 3 or 3 4 1 2, whatever it was, was that uh, because Sheffield United did Chelsea in using their 3 5 2, and so, like, you know, where they where you can cause problems with it. And it's in Chelsea's wide players not tracking. Tracking back, and Reese James had a terrible game with that because he overloaded in wide areas. But if you if you look through this Chelsea-Man United game, Chelsea were overloading the wide areas every single time. So whenever the ball went wide, which is the only place it could have gone, there was an overload. United had to go back, um, and then you saw United's players lose a bit of confidence throughout that first half. And the goal that um, the one that Mount scored is a weird one because they changed their system to a 4-2-3-1, to a, to a so a similar sort of thing. They want to try and play the counter-attack still, but they've got a bit more about them now up front. But although it's it looks like De Gea's mistake is the one that's the goal, I'm, and reference to what Mina said here, um, and Brandon Williams is the one that plays a a, a terrible pass inside to give Mount the run and goal in the first place, it's actually Harry Maguire who plays him a pass which is just a little too short and wide So he has to come back and then he doesn't have an option straight away because it's already been blocked. So then he has to take another touch and that's when he gets done in. Just a few different little bits of errors here and there. And it it looked to me like a kind of a a tired team. And Lampard got his setup exactly right.
0: One thing also I have to just say about Lampard is he's dealt far better with with rotating the squad and putting in the key players in the right game, I think, than a lot of coaches. And for that, I give him his props.
1: Yeah, he's, he's just been fantastic this season, given that we started it with Hazard going and uh, these mm. young players coming through. And, and everyone was saying at the beginning, I think we said many times on this podcast, that would be a good season for them if they can be kind of mid-table. So oh, what, yeah, what, a great, exactly. what a great result. And, and it feels like quite a changing of the guard moment as well, doesn't it, this final? Two former Premier League playing heroes on the verge of their first trophies managers. Who, who do we think is going to win the final?
3: I think Chelsea will. I think they'll be too strong for them, but I, I probably would say that. I, I never have great faith in Arsenal, so... I mean, if, if you look at it... Good record in cup look, finals. Yeah, and, and obviously, particularly the FA Cup, and if you look at it, they've got the slight more experience there with the, the David Luizes and the, the Aubameyangs and the Lacazettes, and the, you'd think they've got that bit more know-how, but I, I fancy Chelsea to beat them. Be a draw. I think
0: so, too, yeah. I mean, be you draw. just... You,
2: <laughs> yeah, they both get a trophy each, and uh, everyone's <laughs> happy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: I just wonder whether they can play out of their skin a second time, but then they'll tell you, "Oh, I don't know, he's smart." I don't know. Yeah,
1: it's good. It's it's exciting. The FA Cup's where it's at this season.
0: We're interrupting this podcast to bring you news of another Telegraph show we think you might like. It's called Planet Normal. And it's hosted by me, Liam Halligan. And me, Alison Pearson. We're both Telegraph columnists who share the view that far too often those who shout the loudest on the telly just don't represent the views of normal people. So take a trip with us to Planet Normal. We're joined by some stellar guests, well-known voices from politics, business, and the arts. All from different fields, but they have one thing in common. They're at the top of their game, but distinctly down to earth. The good news is I finally learnt what a podcast is and even how you subscribe to it. It's actually quite simple. Search for Planet Normal on your podcast app or click on the link in the show notes for this episode. You don't really know what a podcast is, do you? I am one. Look, I am one. Who needs to know what it is? I am one. Okay, shut up. (laughs)
1: Let's return to the world of the Premier League and begin by talking about Nigel Pearson, who has been relieved of his duties at Watford this seems very very strange a very strange time to do it uh, both incredibly odd and incredibly harsh given that they were bottom and six points from safety when he arrived can you explain their thinking at Watford Matt Law? Well
3: they're, they're always unconventional um, I've, I've <laughs> actually in the past I've, I've actually quite admired their the fact they'll go against the conventional wisdom because you know they've never been scared to make a managerial change They'll quite often finish good seasons with managers and then and then still change the manager because they they believe they need that new impetus um, and they don't like to let things go stale. But I mean it does seem that this season uh they've slightly lost the pot plot. Um I mean look to try and explain it from their their side, from from what I'm told, there was no chance that Pearson was staying beyond this season, whether they stayed up or not. Um so Sorry, they've why? decided to look at it. Because they, they brought him in as an interim. They didn't see him as the future. He didn't see them as the future. He wasn't staying. You know, you can debate it all you like, but th- that, that was already there. He wasn't staying past this season. So they've reacted to that West Ham defeat and decided, are we better to let him have two more games and then he goes? Or do we try and instigate our own artificial bounce into very difficult matches where we probably need one, 1.3 points to be, to be safe? Um, and they 've gone for the latter, and look i don't agree with it but but that's that's what they 've done um to have four managers in a, in a season is is absolutely insane and I think anyone who's a watford fan who who's not a Watford fan should I say um would not have a lot of sympathy for them now if they if they go down because generally if if the governance is mad and the governance is bad at the top then then people kind of say they they deserve what they get, so
0: it's weird let's see it's a massive this. call. They, they don't do this in Italy. They're always coming across as really like sane directors who, you know, are happy with consistency and reliability. So it makes really, I don't know, it all sounds really bizarre. But when you have two games and you need one to three points from them, then I, I just feel like why don't you go with a team that, you know, has managed two comebacks, you know, in, in recent weeks, obviously. Um, yeah, they, they weren't obviously very good against West Ham, but they did beat Newcastle, they did beat Norwich, they did, you know, concede a golfer, so the team is still there, it's still willing to play for Nigel Pearson. and it's still listening to instructions. Aren't we just erring on the side of caution if we keep him just to get the one or two, three points and then build with someone who's, you know, willing to push them forward rather than throw in a guy who, you know, it, it's kind of like a baptism of fire at the moment.
1: Yeah, very, very odd, especially given the next two games are Man City and Arsenal when presumably you'd want someone with more experience and the trust of the players uh, not, not a caretaker, a uh, couple of fixtures, those two. Let's talk about that final game for Pearson, West Ham 3, Watford 1 on Friday night. West Ham have risen to the occasion a little bit, I thought, JJ, since the restart. They were very shaky when we came back. Have you been impressed with how they've gone about it and the job David Moyes has done there so
0: far?
2: Yeah, I really, I mean, I like Moyes as a coach. I think you can see that uh, if he's given time, he'll be able to turn them into the maximum they can achieve, which is about tenth or eighth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Really exciting times ahead for West Ham fans forever. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but but genuinely, I mean, I think that's the real problem with a lot of uh, there's a lot of football clubs is that there's only so many places that the rich people can um, own and. Even if you're doing as good a job as David Moyes is doing, there's there's a ceiling that you can't break through. But he's got he's getting a lot out of players. I think um, the signing of Thomas suchek has been quite. I mean, it's obviously worked very well. It's a very um, it's a very marijuana Fellaini kind of signing, isn't it? <laughs> he likes a boy like that. Tim Cahill kind of uh, making late runs into the box from midfield, and you can see the the bits are in place for for Moyes already. And. Uh, they would have more points by now were it not for really, really silly individual mistakes which decided 1-0 games and, and mean, meant they've missed chances. I went right through it a while ago and, and a lot, most lot the goals they score or concede from set pieces or from a mistake from their goalkeeper or defender or something like that. And now they've seem to have got a little bit of confidence about them. You can see they can play a little bit more and that confidence was a problem. You can see in Watford, they, they played as though they were terrified in this game and uh I wouldn't, the what the 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 rumor is that it, well the rumor the noises are that um, the posers weren't happy with Nigel Pearson's tactical selection and how he put Tom Cleverley up front and played a Curie as one of the holding midfielders. There's all different reasons for these things, but like Nathan Chalaba would have been a better defensive option perhaps, but then he was involved with that party that Andre Gray had. So then, if you're trying to put the right mentality in a team, can you just throw Chalaba straight in? After that, he came on as a substitute later on. It's really difficult things to manage as a as a coach, like all the things that maybe aren't surface level obvious, all the training bits. And if Pearson's trying to build the right team mentality, then he has to do the things he's doing. But Moyes has not had to deal with these sorts of problems, it would seem, and he's got quite a steady, stable first team, uh, which is working.
1: Yep, good for him. Less good news down on the south coast, where Bournemouth look. Semi doomed now, two 0 uh, defeat for them at home to Southampton. Some real VAR cruelty as well uh, in that game. It, just the sort of game which made you think, oh, this isn't going to end well. It just had that uh, real stench of sadness for Bournemouth. But they also, I thought, looked so blunt when they were trying to throw the kitchen sink at Southampton. Has that been their biggest failing on the pitch this season? I mean that they just don't have enough to to kind of score when they need to.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, they're a team that for consecutive seasons now have conceded so many goals. Um, And that's just, you know, that's sort of the sacrifice they make so that they can put out the attacking football that they do. But the problem is, is obviously the attacking football isn't flowing this season. And then that puts immense pressure on the team because for a side that already are poor defending and then they're not getting the goals, that is something. I was looking at, you know, what, what they've managed this season and it's only three away wins all season that they've been, like, they've just been terrible away from home. And then you look sort of when it started to get really bad from November onwards and um, you look at, like, some of the losses, like, they had against Crystal Panas on the 3rd of December. They had 70% possession, but only three shots on target and no goal. It's also, it, it's not that they don't create chances. They do, but they just don't know how to obviously convert them. Against Burnley, 65 possession, no shots on target. Against West Ham on New Year's Day, they lost 4-0. They had nearly six. 60% possession, yet they had three shots overall. West Ham had 14 and seven on target. They're just, um, they're just obviously a side that conceded, what, 1.7 goals a game, but really found it very hard. They've had to deal with so many injuries. Ryan Fraser hasn't always been available for them. And, and I think when you put that all together and then add in the, the pressure of possibly going down, it's just gone terribly wrong for them.
3: It's weird as well, because they do have players who you would have thought they would score score goals. You know, Callum Wilson obviously has had his injury problems, but but he's a player, but he's gone through some horrendous runs when he's been fit this season of not scoring. Um, Josh King, who, you know, Man United tried to sign in January. He's scored five Premier League goals this season, and yet he's, he's clearly better than that. Um, they've got players who ought to be able to score...
0: I think when they're confident, like you saw against Leicester.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to put your finger on why, because I actually think when you look at their their team on paper against um, quite a lot of the teams down there, attacking-wise, you would say they would score more goals than a lot of them. Um, And yet it's not worked out like that at all. And they have, obviously, the the horrendous problems at the back they've had for a long time.
2: I'm not sure I agree with that they've got um better players a lot of them down there i think that they've got really kind of average lower medium players and they would naturally finish around where they are at the moment because of the the recruitment they've had but i think eddie house tried to develop a team year on year but still the same team and the the cycles ended a long time ago and they still haven't been able to build a new team coming through so you have these older players who maybe just aren't what they need and not the standards required all their decent players have been injured for long parts of the season. They've never really been available at the same time. So when you don't have players like David Brooks, you don't have Ryan Fraser, you don't have uh, King or Stanislas available when you, like when you need them, which is every single week because their first team isn't even that good compared to their like actual squad. And you see it with Leicester, they lose a couple of players through injury and suddenly they're not a top four team anymore. That's what happens. Bournemouth are a top 10 team maybe if they've got all their top players and they've got momentum and they're on form but they've not been on form, they struggle to get things together. How's changed it? I think we talked about this earlier in the season, but how's changed it this season to try and make them less reliant on the counter-attack? Because that's how they scored all of their goals uh, last season and the season before. It's all about the counter-attack. You sit back and then you launch and you use the pacey wingers. Without the pacey wingers, they can't play like that, but they try to change things in midfield to try and play it more, be more progressive, try and have more of the possession. That hasn't worked. And then again, without the players being able to do that, they can't do it. So other teams are just... Been better than them, and in terms of like like you said, Mina, they they haven't had they created the chances, but haven't converted them. They've not really. They've they've had like they've had the fourth least chances created of any team in the league. Uh, but you can take these statistics as, as ever you want because I mean Burnley I think it was mainly or, in the games less. that I was
0: like looking at in particular when totally to, that's
2: the thing they have know. so few shots on target and so few shots on goal this is
0: it they don't have any shots like they have so it's, it's exactly that and yeah. despite the fact that they'll have so much possession it will just be wasted because they don't actually know how to change it into anything special when you're looking at these matches and when they were thrashed 4-0 by West Ham and you're like yeah. why? you have the ball like why aren't you doing something more with it's it it's kind of
2: that they don't know like I mean, they, they know how to the problem is that they're if they're not confident because things haven't been going it's right exactly that, momentum yeah. then they don't have they don't want to try the risky passes, it's a to turn over possession and let them leak in another stupid counter-attack goal that's been happening all season there's just so much to there it. has
3: been there has also been some strange management from um, from eddie howe because hmm. uh, yesterday the lad the lad who scored yesterday whose goal was chalked off sam Surridge. Hmm. He's, um, I've heard a lot about this lad from from various scouts and things, and he's he's very highly rated, um, particularly outside the Premier League. He was having a really good season on loan at Swansea. Um, he'd scored seven or eight goals, doing very well indeed. They brought him back in January um, to obviously try and help out, and he hasn't he hasn't started a single game, and yet he scored against Arsenal in the FA Cup, and still hasn't and started after that and yet he came on yesterday and i thought he made a difference you know he gave he's a big tall yeah. lad he gave them a different option and he you know okay it was ruled out for off, for an offside but he, he he scored quite a nice goal that's weird I, management to me why, why bring why that, that lad back who's clearly full of confidence and and not put him anywhere near the team and then he scores against Arsenal yeah. and you're still not giving him a
2: chance but I think managers do this quite, thing quite a lot and, and like something I was asking a few managers and coaches in recent weeks when doing interviews with them is working out why if you have like, like what makes a young player ready to come in so with he's performing well in that team he was in if he comes to the, the the general feeling I get from these people I've asked um it's mostly Scottish premiership managers is that when they come back maybe they don't show exactly the right um like uh attitude it's not that they're turning up being lazy. So they're not doing the extra, the, the more, showing more that they're completely ready to throw into the that higher league. So they throw them in at the, at the expense of someone like Wilson or something like that. It, you, may, you can give them a chance. I mean, Lampard's given Abraham chances because he's kind of had to and, and it's worked for him. But there'll be plenty who've put uh, young players in and they haven't. And it's difficult to work out. It, it, it's something that the coach must see that they're just not ready to go. Yet you'd think if they just did it, it'd probably be fine. But I that's why they're Premier League managers and I'm not.
0: <laughs> they're operating, and I think Eddie Howe is one of them, obviously, operating out of a stance of fear. And I think that things started getting banned from November. So it's been a hard season and, and full of like problems. And, and I think the psychological pressure meant that a lot of the decisions were made out of fear, which is why they've lost their confidence to play the great football that they do. Even if you saw that against Leicester, as soon as they got their confidence, they were just going nuts and they were like playing beautiful football. But when that doesn't happen then you're you're less willing to give people a chance and actually he's the right person to give a chance to he hasn't been tainted he's only arrived in January so he hasn't had the first half of the season so I don't know but I think that this is where you see that he has also learning on the job he's also trying to figure out how to navigate this tough situation
1: back up in London it was a big win for Spurs 3-0 against Leicester you were there Matt Leicester very poor, have they? Uh, has it surprised you how bad they've been since we returned to football?
3: It has a bit. I mean, we were obviously sp- speaking just before the show started on this. I, I saw them just before lockdown at um, Norwich and lose at Norwich, and they were very poor that day. They-, they-, they were wobbling before this lockdown, but I think the lockdown's been cruel to them. Um, you know, they were out three of without three of their back four yesterday, which absolutely killed them. roger's tried to go to a back three to try and. Um, get through it I mean Bennett from Wolves just isn't good enough Um, the kid Thomas is but he got caught out a couple of times yesterday Uh, and Morgan's nowhere near good enough now so the the injuries has has really exposed um, their lack of options at the back which I I don't think many of us had seen before this, this happened they've been missing Madison for virtually the whole time that's been an issue for them so Look, I feel a bit sorry for them because I think they've, they've been unlucky since, since the restart. But, yeah, they, they've, they've badly gone off the boil. I mean, what, what I would say is that, that Spurs were extremely clinical yesterday. Um, they weren't excellent by any means. You know, they, they gave away a lot of possession. They actually gave away quite a few chances. Leicester will, will definitely feel they're unfortunate not to score a couple of goals. But what they were, and it was a bit like watching an old Mourinho ch- team, is that they were incredibly clinical. You know, the minute they got the opportunity to break on them, the minute they got in, in front of a goal, they looked like they were going to score every single time. Um, and it was quite impressive to watch. And I know it's easy to react off the back of, you know, three wins on the trot, which have been three good wins for Tottenham. And before that, they'd had a very bad uh, draw with Bournemouth and a game against Everton in which they actually played very poorly. But I do think Mourinho's generally done a good job with Tottenham. You know, they're, they're up in sixth now. Um When he took over, they were sort of down in 13th or something. I mean, he's been at pains to point out himself that if the league were done from when he had had taken over, they would be in the top four. And it's not been spectacular. It's not always been great to watch, but he's done what he was brought in to do at the moment. He looks like he might nick a a European spot, which was their best-case scenario when he came in. Um, And it's really unfashionable to praise Mourinho, but I think he's done quite well.
1: Yeah, I think that's part of... This weekend has made me think the Premier League might be absolutely amazing next year. There are so many excellent managers everyone seems to be fairly strong at the moment and you've got the, all of the top teams in, in varying degrees of, of rude health. Uh, some interesting, um, uh, you know, Sheffield United and Wolves are challenging and clearly right up there as well. It feels like the quality might be, might be quite high next year. Anyway, one team who will be involved with that that aren't at the moment are Leeds United. Back in the Premier League after winning the championship of the championship. Uh, are you looking forward to seeing them in the Premier League, JJ, or, or are you more excited for Bielsa rather than Leeds
2: as a club, and uh, no, I I like Leeds being back in there because I mean football to me started in 1996. So <laughs> wow, so that's different <laughs> to normal. Uh, yeah, so uh, I just remember that I got right into the Premier League in the 96 97 season. That's when I was properly into the English football and uh, Leeds being there then was. I remember the Harry Kuhl years or the um, David O'Leary years, probably more accurately, when they were doing well a Champions League. And I like having all the big teams in the uh, in the top division. Sort of like in Scotland, I like that Dundee United are back because you like having the big teams in because then you get the big rivalries. It just sells it more. I, I mean, watching Leicester Burnley, I don't care, but if you have Leeds versus Man United, I do because it's there's a bigger rivalry to it. You know, and I like that. Mm. Yeah, I just so, need
1: QPR back up there to really uh, complete. Oh, absolutely! I can't <laughs> so, wait. Yeah, I can't doesn't wait. feel
2: right without them, does it?
1: Um, do you, yeah. What do you make of that notion, Matt? That some teams belong in the Premier League.
3: Um, I know what you mean. I've, I've I mean got Villa. No great... are, are Villa
1: are one that many people would say should be up there.
3: Yeah, they are. And you know, I'd always like to see Sheffield Wednesday and, and Nottingham Forest back in the, the Premier League. I think that would yeah, be wonderful. I, I've got no great affection for Leeds. I've, I've made that pretty clear in the past. I, I, <laughs> I, I don't really want to talk about them because I'll say something I end up regretting that just <laughs> <puts> me into <laughs> a load of problems. Well, this so, will have I awesome. mean, I. I thought I don't care about Bielsa to be quite honest with you, and I thought their director of football Victor Orta at Derby with his stupid binoculars (laughs) waving a flag, thinking he was funny, summed them up. So I'll leave it at that.
2: It'd be a Bielsa thing to do if you were to then leave the club before they played in the Premier League. Oh yeah,
1: that would that would be very very funny. But let's um, yeah, good luck to Leeds as well. Let's have some Europe. song for Europe with Mina Rizuki. Real Madrid the champions, Mina, built on a really brilliant defence this season. Zidane's not often had loads of credit as a tactician, but how much do we give him for how they've approached this year?
0: Unfairly so, by the way. Um, Listen, I think that there's nobody who's probably a bigger fan of Zinedine Zidane than I am. I really do think he's just a a tremendous coach. Now, we were here last year and, um, well, actually I was watching what was the greatest friendly tournament. Um, And um, obviously they lost 7-3 to Atletico Madrid and everyone thought this was devastation. You know, Zinedine Zidane's bag, but Real Madrid still looked like a catastrophic team. Um, They still haven't found a way of playing without Ronaldo and it's just been a disaster. And slowly, slowly he's put a team together that doesn't have a star, other than Benzema's been fantastic, but the team is the star. Everyone takes part in defending. Everyone takes part in in attacking. Um, they share out the goals. They found a way to sort of make up for the supply that Ronaldo used to provide them with steadily. And this is a team that's been built on, and you said defense, and this has always been Zidane. He's a, he's a pupil of Serie A football, right? This is where he he learned a lot of what he had and he learned under Carlo Ancelotti. So he understands defense more than anything. And what he wanted to do was incorporate the, the command and the control that Ancelotti had in that, you know, decimal winning season of Real Madrid and make sure to keep some of the transitions that Mourinho had with his, you know, 16 second counter attacks and have defensive control so that they were never in bad positions. And that's something he did as soon as he arrived in Real Madrid, even when he was winning the Champions League, because he made Casemiro the focal point in midfield. And by bringing him in, it allowed the team to sort of go forward and indulge in their attacking prowess because they could feel safe at the back. Um, And I think that is his legacy. And this is why I'm always really upset and I always try to defend him because he's really good at problem-solving. And this is a team, by the way, that hasn't had Eden Hazard available to them because of injury. Gareth Bale is playing golf. Um, (laughs) Yeah, he looked very
1: awkward at the celebrations, didn't he, Bale?
0: Exactly, you know, like... and and it's just really annoying when you you know you have a team that's basically being you know you have Fede Valverde, you've got, you know, in midfield kids at Rodrigo and Vinicius Jr who are coming in and doing such a job with you. Karim Benzema who's been amazing and really stepped up to the role. Luka Modric looking like the player that he was and not jaded like he was last season. You know, Rafael Varane had one of his best ever center back performances this season. You look at all of this and every time they keep going forward, they keep trying to do well. They are they are obviously a that's rebuilding because they did lose a generational talent in Ronaldo and the question is bail and it's like who cares anymore you know it's like everyone wants to talk about this one guy who's just barely like you know taking part in any celebration wasn't even included in the squad against Leganes in their last game of the season and and it's almost like you know he sits there puts the mask on you know on over his eyes and just falls asleep you know and it, it's like I feel sorry for Zidane because after everything he's accomplished, after everything, the fact that everyone called Real Madrid is such a poorly run team, which Barcelona have shown that that's not true because they might be even worse. People still ask the question, but what about Bale? Well, who cares about Bale? This is the team that should be celebrated for the win for the winners that they do have.
1: What about Juve, though, uh, Mina? They are really limping over <laughs> the line in Syria. <laughs>
0: they really
1: are (laughs) do you think any danger of them being caught by atalanta or inter
0: (laughs) yeah actually really do i mean okay so yesterday inter played against roma and had they won that match um which obviously i was always banking on the fact that antonio conte would muck it up and they did they got 2-2 i mean it was still a very good performance don't get me wrong but this is a really bad juventus side and i haven't i don't know i'm not obviously taking pleasure in it because i am of course a juventus fan but this is a part of me is quite happy for this because Pavel Nedved and, you know, at the time was so keen to change the style of football, was so keen to have Juventus. This really bothers me because I'm not really into, you know, people who are like, I want my team to play this type of football. I get it, but I'd rather win a trophy. I'm, I've am i always been that person. And I just thought this was a side that maybe had gone a bit stale under Allegri but it's just a poorly constructed team and a lot of people blamed Allegri. Sani's come in and it's just been even worse um, because now they haven't even got the winning mentality that they had before. Now they're collapsing, now they score goals and then concede four like they did against Milan um, or like Cesuolo, they, they go two goals up in like the first 15 minutes and then concede three. This is not what we know of Juventus. And despite the fact that, you know, they've spent also like, what, close to 80 million euros on uh, Dilius. So when you look at all these things and, and you see how much they've struggled against teams like Atalanta and against Lazio, who they play tonight, this is going to be interesting. It would have been a hell of a lot more interesting had Lazio been the team to keep challenging and pushing. But... It's going to be tough for Juventus, and I'm not even sure that they can beat Leon to, to progress in the Champions League, you know, and even reach the quarterfinals at the stage if they continue this. But Ronaldo's always a factor.
1: Poor old Juve. Eh?
0: Yeah, he's in a lot of danger, actually. Um, I think that it's very hard to give a team like the one that Juventus has to to a coach like Sadie, who's a philosopher. It's, Juventus are a collection of very good individuals. It, they're all pragmatic choices. They're players who arrived on good deals like Ramsey and, and, and Rabiot, you know, play, players that they snapped up on the market. You've got players who are really used to a particular style, the man marking of Chiellini, the sort of, you know, the old school ways of Ronaldo. This isn't a side that has been playing in teams that have a very specific philosophy. So giving this bunch of players was a lot of veterans in it, like Sami Kadira, Blaise Matuidi, you know, go on, Chilini or Bonucci, to somebody like Sadi who's looking to, to play a, a specific style of football was always a bad idea. Um, and I think they're seeing that for themselves now. And if he does walk, if, you know, I mean, let's be honest, if Inter do manage to do something, which is a lot harder to do, but even if it comes really close to them losing it or they don't progress in the Champions League, I think there'll be a lot of trouble. But I know that who they really, really want is Zinedine Zidane and eventually Andrea Pilo, who's just been made the under-23 coach.
1: Oh, there's a thought. Let's finish up by asking this question, which we put to our friends on social media. With crowds due to be allowed back in football stadiums in October, if everything goes to plan and no laughing at the back, Which stadium are you most looking forward to visiting and why? We had a lot of responses to this. Matt, not Matt Law, I assume, says Plough Lane. Uh, and before you think our Plough Lane has been demolished Uh, it's back, it's going to be built on the site of the old Greyhound Stadium that's not Matt's tweet, that's my context he says I've been watching Wimbledon since 1996 without really ever seeing a true home game Uh, so lots and lots of shouts as well for Plough Lane Gavin says Anfield only missed five games there in past 20 seasons three of these being due to lockdown James says the KCOM, which is Hull Stadium uh, says where social distancing won't be a problem very good, James. Uh, and we also had uh, Jeet Shah saying Stanford Bridge to watch Werner, Ziech and Pulisic and Havertz, too. Uh, I'm sure Matt will give us an update on that. Uh, and uh, David Williams says the only stadium left in England with an atmosphere, Elland Road. What have you got, JJ? I
2: mean, you know I'm going to say Patadri, but the. Uh, yeah, give it it's to obvious. me. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's my. I, I love that place so much. And there's only a few years left of it, maybe, because there's. um a new stadium being planned, but this whole pandemic thing you may have heard about has caused some sort of financial <laughs> distress to a lot of clubs, especially in Scotland. There's been some strange, mysterious benefactors who've come in and, and contributed some money to all the clubs to try and help out. But, uh, like Aberdeen and other clubs as well have been selling season tickets for a partially uh, attended stadium. So rather than the 15,000 or so seats, you'd normally get maybe 20,000 seats, uh, 700 or seven hundred 7,500 sold. I think they sold something like 6,700 of them already, mm. uh, even though nobody knows when they'll actually be able to get back in. <laughs> it's one of the most supported, uh, most attended or supported leagues in all of Europe, if not the most in, in Scotland. It's uh, People love it. But yeah, I really can't wait for Scottish people to come back. It's going to be fantastic.
1: I'm not going to ask uh, for any justification for that stat because I'm not sure it stands up to scrutiny. What have you got, Matt? I
3: think everyone, I mean,
2: everyone,
3: Everyone's just going to say the the ground of their own team, aren't they? Because exactly, yeah, that's kind of that's <laughs> gonna,
1: Well, well, I might have a surprise for you.
0: Oh.
3: Um, so other than Villa Park, um, which I actually think will be quite emotional, whenever I think it'll be emotional for everyone when they go back yeah, to the sure. the grounds that they've grown up going to, and, and crowds are back, and you might be with family and things. Other than that one, I look. I, I did um, when Wickham got promoted the other day. I. I saw some pictures of their ground, which I have been to several times to cover games. Um, and if Villa do get relegated, I thought, yeah, an away day at Wickham looks good fun.
1: Yeah, it's a lovely, lovely walk through an industrial estate, isn't it? <laughs> 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 not, not, not an atmospheric place, what <laughs> but about it you,
3: looks Mina? a good, good, good fun away.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, as far as grounds go in in England, um, Fulham is my local, and Craven Cottage is one of my favourites ever stadium to go to. I haven't been in a while, obviously, because Fulham hasn't exactly been entertaining to watch. Um, But, um, well, at least not for me, because they're not obviously in the Premier League. But that, (laughs) if I'm counting it in England, but obviously I miss my job mostly. I miss flying out to Italy and going to either San Siro, which is going to be wiped out. And and just being able to just, uh, I guess, watch as many games as i can before it goes and obviously you went to stadium because i love all the disco music before that and <laughs> you know like the the lameness that comes from it and the and the lights i miss all of those things i i, I kind of miss going just back to normal
1: yeah yeah shouldn't be long well i'm obviously excited about Loftus australia but the one i really want to go to is glanford park scunthorpe Because I had a ticket to go and see Scunthorpe United um, in mid-March, which obviously was cancelled, because it was one of the grounds I haven't been to on my quest to get to all 92 of the league uh, clubs. So I think when I'm back at Glanford Park, things will finally feel that all is right with the world. I'm at a pointless football stadium for no reason. (laughs) Wonderful. What a moment that's gonna be. How many are you on? Uh I am gonna look it up so I get it right. It was. It was 80, oh it's eighty four, in fact. The last one I did was sorted in November. Eighty four, yeah. What a So life. you're gonna
3: do it next season. You're gonna do it next season. I don't,
1: I'd need to up it. I need to up it. Yeah. You're Together. gonna do it. Fingers crossed. That's all for this week. You can contact me on Twitter if you like before next week's episode. It's at Tom with an H Gibbs. Don't forget to send us an email if you like that sort of thing. The address is afcpodcast at we will read out the very best of what you send us. Subscribe to the podcast. Why not subscribe? It's a thing you can do with podcasts. Look for Telegraph Audio Football Club wherever you get them. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon.